SCP-7999. Meet me in the stars. There have been quite a few examples of alien species or alternate Earths throughout this series, and they've varied quite a bit. Some are grim places, reeking of death and disaster. Others are quite wondrous, showing a much better alternative to our normal lives. SCP-7999 shows a situation containing a bit of both, detailing an alien civilization that encounters Earth and is amazed at many aspects of human life and culture. While it's certainly not a happy tale, there is happiness to be found here. Let's take a look. The article begins with a quote from Christopher Wren, noted architect, astronomer, and physicist, which reads, A time will come when men will stretch out their eyes. They should see planets like our Earth. Although that's not exactly what Wren had said in his inaugural lecture at Gresham College in 1657, the point stands that ours is not the only Earth-like planet in the universe. SCP-7999 refers to several interconnected anomalies, the first of which is a wormhole that manifested approximately 405,000 kilometers from Earth on March 6, 2027. This wormhole links our solar system to GNZ11, a galaxy within the Ursa Major constellation located approximately 32 billion light-years from Earth. So far, all attempts to pass through this wormhole have failed. The second anomaly is the planet GN667CC, also known by the name Nest, viewable on the other side of the wormhole. It is approximately 250,000 kilometers from the wormhole as it appears within its local solar system. Nest is around the same size as Mars, with a gravitational force 0.364 that of Earth's. It maintains an atmospheric composition comparable to Earth's during the Carboniferous period, with a high degree of oxygen concentration, and the planet is largely aquatic, with roughly 85% of the planet's surface covered in liquid water. This planet is inhabited by the third anomaly an intelligent civilization known locally as Caridids. They are hexapedal arthropods, superficially similar to mantis insects, with enlarged craniums. Their front limbs are capable of serving as both legs and arms, with a three-fingered structure at the end analogous to the human hand. They range in size from 1 to 1.3 meters tall, or about 3 feet, and are intelligent. On the Kardashev scale, which measures the general technological advancement of a civilization based on the amount of energy they're able to use, they would be a Type 2, meaning that they're capable of directly harvesting energy from their star. It's believed that it would take humanity over 10,000 years to reach a comparable level of technology. We're next given a short addendum which states that the current distance is approximately 655,000 kilometers, and a dialogue between two individuals, suggesting that they are two of the alien creatures discovering that Earth exists. 
One asks if we are like them, to which the other says that not at all, and fascinatingly, we bear few, if any, similarities. This doesn't matter, though, as this discovery is a culmination of several lifetimes of work. Now they finally know they truly are not alone in this universe. The other asks what they do next, if they should send us a message or wait for us to speak first. The other one simply replies that those are too many questions, and says to just let him work. Continuing on with the document, the wormhole first manifested approximately 405,000 kilometers from Earth, between the orbits of Earth and Venus. Due to its proximity to Earth, it was immediately visible with the naked eye across much of the world, forcing the Foundation to immediately begin attempting to control the spread of information about it. They did this through media control, the deployment of aerosolized amnestics, and the deployment of targeted memetics to remove humanity's ability to view the wormhole entirely. Within 12 hours of its manifestation, a series of five messages were rapidly broadcast across global radio networks, likely much to the Foundation's chagrin. The Foundation employed an artificial intelligence designed for anomalous translations named Rosetta to translate the messages. After 22 days, Rosetta translated the messages successfully, all of which read, Hello. Are we heard? Does this world think? Two Foundation personnel at Site-120, Dr. Daniel Ashworth and Agent Basil Sias, had been routinely checking in on Rosetta when the messages were finally translated, stunning them into silence. Ashworth finally asks if that's all they said, and Sias says that he's run these messages through Rosetta more times than he can count, and this is it. Rosetta has a 99% confidence rating, but the only reason it's not perfect is likely because of some errors made back when she first went online. Ashworth asks what the O5s had to say about it, and Sias says that initially they panicked due to the entire population of Earth suddenly being able to see an anomaly sitting in the sky. They spent the time before the messages came in arguing over whether to knock out everyone on the planet and throw an anti-memetic shield over everything to keep pretending it wasn't there. Sias had spoken with them for a bit, talking them off the ledge, so to speak, and now the Council wants them to try talking to the aliens, maybe even integrating them into our world. Ashworth responds that that's surprisingly magnanimous of them. But Sias says that times are changing, and the work that they've all done here at Site-120 is proof that they can actually start taking steps to lift the veil, bit by bit. They're hitting the point where maybe humanity can stand to know that the Anomalous exists. Ashworth smiles and says that if the Council has approved it, then he's all for it. After some discussion, the Foundation sent the following message back to the aliens. Hello, let's talk. Well, it's not exactly grandiose, but it gets the point across. After a series of messages were transmitted and received through Rosetta, 
the native civilization of Nest agreed to send representatives to meet with the Foundation. Due to humanity's inability to cross through the wormhole, the representatives agreed to meet at a Foundation site on Earth. To ease the process of integration in advance, the Foundation Integration Committee began declassifying initial 7999 findings to world governments and the general public. On April 3, 2027, two representatives arrived at Foundation Site 120. Each came equipped with specialized suits that allowed them to survive under Earth's environmental conditions. With their consent, personnel installed Rosetta into each suit to facilitate communication, and were given a log of interactions between Sias and the representatives. Sias writes that their interactions prior to the representatives showing up were extremely basic, relatively speaking. They wanted to know what we called ourselves, what our world was, what kind of life we were, and they asked the same things back. Only so much can be accomplished through messages though, so they eventually agreed to meet one another. They sent two members of their species they held in high regard, and the Foundation met them with a hazmat team at first to ensure they were properly decontaminated. Sias was worried that the meeting would be tense, or that they wouldn't know where to start. As soon as he entered though, he was immediately rushed by one of the envoys who began grabbing and tugging at his face. It kneaded at his cheeks and brushed its fingers through his beard, all with this sense of abject wonder and fascination. It remarked to the other one how soft and malleable we are, and commented on the chitinous material on Sias's face, similar to their furred animals. The other then joined in, tugging at his hair and vocalizing to one another with chittering, clattering sounds accompanied by them stomping their front legs. The other one comments on how fascinating it is that a furred animal could be capable of thought, and with only four limbs. Ashworth then interjects, formally welcoming them to Earth on behalf of the SCP Foundation. He says that they have a lot to discuss, so he asks them to join them at the table and let go of Agent Sias, although they can start tugging at his face again in a minute. The two representatives continue to poke and prod at Sias's arms as he flips Ashworth off. Ashworth then asks what to refer to them as, with one being called Katadanka and the other Kardakin as they continue to chitter back and forth while examining Sias. Ashworth asks if they were the ones who sent the messages, with Katadanka replying that it was him in particular, and they are filled with joy that we were able to respond. Sias notes that Rosetta struggles to translate tone, even between human languages. Even with that limitation though, he could tell that Katadanka was uncomfortable to some degree overly formal. Despite that, however, he was still more than willing to analyze Sias like a science experiment. Sias says that it's an amazing opportunity for them as well, but has to ask what the goal of their first message was. Cardican responds that the portal was open between their worlds, and the opportunity to speak was presented. 
They have sent messages to many planets over the ages, but this was the first to respond. He has been looking at this world from a distance since the portal opened, and wished to see what this planet holds, and what the people here have created. They want to learn whatever they can, and they will share in return, while they still have time. Sias says that with the wormhole where it is, they can't hide them from the world, nor should they, and thinks that this is something that they both could benefit from. Ashworth mentions how they've been trying to pull back the veil, bit by bit, but this only serves to confuse the representatives. Ashworth says that while they could hide them away from the rest of the world, there's no real benefit to that for either species. A cultural exchange is probably the best way for the Foundation to start understanding and introducing their society to our own. They have chosen Cardican as their main representative to be shown around, and Sias agrees to be his escort. He reaches out a hand, but he doesn't know what that means, so Sias takes one of Cardican's hands and grasps it with his own. Cardican recoils, however, yanking Sias onto the table and causing him to laugh. He says that this can be their first cultural exchange, explaining that this is a handshake, and they use it to say hello. Slowly taking the meaning, Cardican begins shaking Sias's hand vigorously. Another update from the two aliens traveling through space, with their current distance from their target being approximately 550,000 kilometers. We still don't know who they are, where they are, or where they're traveling to. One of the two mentions that these coordinates are in a fairly compromising spot, but the other says that they are aware of the risks involved here, but this isn't an opportunity they can pass by after all this time. This is not about pure scientific curiosity, it's a culmination of millions of lifetimes of work, something that can finally allow them to die peacefully knowing that life lives on out there on the other end of the universe. To know that something will live on after they are gone. The other responds that they want to know them as much as anyone else here does, but asks if this course of action is truly worth the risk. The other individual says, it has to be. Back at Site 120. Cardican asks what they are going to see first, although Sias responds that it's difficult to decide where to begin. Humanity is not a monolithic species, with many different cultures and societies to show off. He has approval to take him off-site, so the world's their oyster. Cardican begins chittering in response, rubbing his forelegs together, before commenting on how he doesn't understand this statement of the world being their oyster. Sias chuckles and apologizes, remarking on how he should avoid using idioms. He explains that it just means that they're in a position to take advantage of the opportunities life has to offer them. Cardican takes oyster to mean great opportunity, and says that communications between their worlds is their oyster. Sias laughs and says that Ketadanka was asking about the veil earlier. 
Cardigan says that they are confused by this, as science can surely explain anything with enough time, even why humans have a skeleton inside of their bodies instead of outside. Sias responds that he has something to show him first, that might help a bit. The two entities in space are approximately 480,000 kilometers from their target now, and one of them says that it is done. The other responds that it is done. There they are. It is beautiful. At Site 120, Sias explains that the veil is the veil of secrecy, the things that the Foundation hides from the world. He asks Cardican if their people never hid away the things that they couldn't understand, to which Cardican confirms that that is the case. He asks what is being hidden away, and Sias explains that there are certain immutable rules for how the universe operates that never change. He grabs an apple off of someone's desk, and says that this apple could be here or on Nest, but if he drops it, it will fall. It will fall slower on Nest, but it will still fall, because gravity is one of those constants. What if something broke that rule, however, and what if instead of falling, the apple floated away? Cardican says that they would need to catch it, so that it would not leave. But Sias responds that while that's true, the Foundation would also need to step in to hide it away. That's what the veil is for, to keep the things that break the rules of the world away from the public eye. Cardican asks why, and Sias wishes he had an answer for that. The Foundation's mission is secure, contain, and protect. There's plenty of things here that are here for a good reason things that would hurt a lot of people if they were let loose. There's also a lot of things here that Sias and others wish they didn't keep secret to begin with. That's part of why Site-120 has been working on the integration project. The two stop at one of Site-120's classrooms, a school for the younger anomalous humanoids here. There were about 23 students in the room, with some passing as your average 13-year-old, while others were barely recognizable as human. Each pays close attention to the Foundation agent at the front of the room, giving a lecture on global history. Sias says that this is what he wanted to show Cardican, a classroom, much like ones all over the world. These are where humans take their young and teach them almost everything they need to know about being human. This one is different though and Cardican guesses that they are all what is referred to as anomalous. Sias says that most of these kids have never left the site, and those that have were only outside as little kids and barely remember it. They're all here for different reasons as well, with one of the kids being able to light fires with her mind, and another able to summon a monster with a storybook. Cardigan asks what they have on their desks, and Sias responds that those are books, remarking on how much he hopes that the Caradids have had books at some point in their history. Cardigan says that he believes so, many, many years before he was born. He doesn't recall them looking like that though, 
but Sias says that it's the same basic idea. Things with words written in them to pass on knowledge to the next generation. The two stand there in silence, watching the class, and at one point the teacher directs the students to work on a group activity. One student is left alone in the corner of the room for a moment, until they are motioned to join another group of kids. Cardigan hangs his head, his wings vibrating, and Sias asks if something is wrong. Cardigan says that he was merely thinking, and was going to ask if all humans had such wondrous abilities, but since some are kept here while others are not, that answers that question. He asks why they came here first, and Sias explains that these kids are like the Caradids, part of the first anomalies that get to go past the veil and join society at large. They're wonders, and wonders that finally get to see the rest of the world now that the Caradids are here. Cardigan taps his front two legs rhythmically and excitedly asks what they're going to see next. Sias responds that there's a whole lot of world out there, but they should start with something simple. They take a plane to Barcelona in Spain, and Cardigan remarks on how amazing the flying machine was, with such a strange design, being simplistic yet effective. Sias smiles, noting how Cardigan had been like this all night, amazed at every little thing from the intricate machinery of the plane to the fabric on the seats. He honestly feels like he's with a kid, and it's hard to believe that this entity is from a civilization nearly 10,000 years their senior. Cardigan asks when humans created these machines, as it must have taken a long time. Sias says that the first successful flight was in 1903 a little over 120 years ago, but Cardigan has trouble understanding the timeline, as this planet is very slow to orbit its star compared to Nest. Sias explains how long a year is here, based on the length of the flight they just took, and says that 120 years is a long time, but Cardigan says that it's no time at all, shocked that humans were able to master flight in such a short period of time. He says that Sias must have hardly aged since then, but Sias wasn't alive yet, being only 30 years old. Cardigan begins chittering and flailing his arms about wildly, saying that Sias is only a child, which explains why he knew so much about the school. Sias asks him how old he would be in Earth years, and Cardigan says that he would be 1,743 years old. Still very young, but that doesn't make him unfit to be his people's envoy. They leave the airport, stepping out onto the quiet streets of Barcelona early in the morning. They weren't trying to keep Cardigan a secret now, but it was best for them to start with a lower profile. Sias points to a group of five people, and says that if you added up all their ages, they wouldn't even be half as old as Cardigan, shocking him even more. He asks if the whole species is composed of nothing but children and infants, but Sias says that 
he's surprised he hasn't figured it out yet. Those are adults, as is Sias, and humans don't live much past 80 years on average. By this point, Sias was starting to understand the Caradid's physical mannerisms, and can best describe Cardican's reaction to this statement as visceral disbelief, as it began flailing nearly every limb it had. Casual observers would take these to be haphazard motions, but those who were paying attention would notice the specificity to each motion, with each arm and leg moving intentionally to convey a meaning. Sias tells him that he's not here to lie to him or trick him, and humans are fleeting, here and gone in an instant. Cardican asks how long ago humans created the moving vehicle nearby, which Sias says was in 1886, about 141 years ago. Cardigan then asks about the lights powered by electricity, which Sias says was in 1879, 148 years ago, demonstrating a pretty impressive knowledge of history. Cardigan then asks how long have humans existed, to which Sias says is a good question, and they don't really know for certain, but their rough estimates say about 200,000 years ago. Cardigan goes silent once more, with his body still, before finally glancing over the city and the sunrise, watching the cars as they pass and people as they cross the streets. He then remarks on how many humans there are, and wants to see more. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Back to the two entities in space, with their current distance now at 460,000 kilometers, one asks how long they think they've existed. The other says that, based on their level of development, at least one million years or so, but it's hard to tell because they are at such different levels of development. They can simply ask though, as they've been speaking with them for some time now, but the other says that that's not a question they want to ask. They want to meet, and see what wonders they've created with their own eyes. This seems to suggest that this is a conversation between two Caradids, possibly Cardican and Katadanka, prior to them coming to Earth. Back in Barcelona, Sias is showing Cardican one of the city's parks, telling him that he used to take his daughter here all the time. Sias gets cut off as Cardican rushes off towards a nearby tree running a finger over one of the palm tree's fronds. He looks back at Sias, and says that they have something similar to this vegetation on Nest, although it's not the same color, and it doesn't hurt his hands when he touches it. He then rushes over to another tree, remarking on how different this one is, with unique structures, as Sias explains that it's a maple tree, and he's rubbing its leaves. Cardican then falls silent, as Sias realizes that he's staring at a praying mantis that had crawled onto his hand. 
Cardigan says that things here are so similar, yet so vastly different at the same time. How can there be a planet on the other side of the universe with such similarities? He says that this creature is like any other Caridid of his world, and asks if it thinks. Sias says that he probably won't get anything from it, as there are a few things that can speak on Earth, but the only ones he's likely to meet out here are other humans. Cardican places the mantis back on the leaf, and says that even if there are others here who can think, how lonely it must have been to be stuck to this planet, alone in your galaxy. Sias isn't entirely sure how to respond to this, as the two stood there in silence, watching the mantis walk across the leaf. This tree was one he walked by all the time before, not paying much attention to it, but he put himself in Cardigan's place, looking at the leaves on the tree, each a slightly different color. Some leaves held insects, while others were still unfurling out, having only grown recently. He plucks a leaf off and hands it to Cardigan, who takes it and holds it up to his eyes. Sias notes how strange a sight it was to see such an advanced species marveling over a leaf like a kid. Back to the conversation between the two entities, with the distance at 450,000 kilometers. One asks the other how things have been so far, and the other replies that words cannot describe it. They really are like them in many ways, but at the same time, they're almost like children. He appreciates the things they seem so easily impressed by, but they don't seem to realize the true wonders of this world. He's trying to show them, but they seem preoccupied with the simple things. The other replies that they have different perspectives, and he should just remember where they each came from. Their experiences shape what is important to each of them. The other one asks if they have noticed, and the second one says that yes, he has been monitoring the distance between both planets. He's unsure as of now how much time they have left, but they should be ready. The other remarks on how cruel the universe can be to present them this opportunity and then rip it away in an instant. Alright, well now we know what the distance is calculating, which is the distance between Earth and Nest thanks to the wormhole. The Caridids are well aware that the wormhole is eventually going to close, but can't really say how much time they have left. Back in Barcelona, Sias takes Cardican to La Sagrada Familia, a famous unfinished church. Cardican asks why it's shaped the way that it is, as it's very different from the other buildings he's seen, and Sias says that it's for artistic reasons. Cardican says that Rosetta couldn't translate the word artistic, asking what it means, and Sias struggles to explain what art is. He asks him if the leaf he saw yesterday on the tree was beautiful, and Cardican supposes that it was. Sias explains that art is when you create something beautiful for other people to see, or create something ugly for people to see. It's like commentary on something in the world, or society. He says to look at the cathedral again, 
and that it's a work of art not just because it's pretty, but because of the history it represents. It's the work of dozens of architects combining their design in one massive collaboration, and it's a work that survived a civil war and disease. It's art because of what it represents. Cardican simply replies with, oh, and Sias notes that his body subtly stiffened up at the mention of war and disease. Sias leads Cardigan away from the cathedral, and he starts asking Sias questions again, about religion and how there were no universal beliefs about God or the divine. He asks if it wouldn't be easier to believe in the same thing, and if these fundamental differences in thought don't lead to conflict. Sias says that yes, it does lead to conflict but he doesn't elaborate further based on Cardigan's last reaction to war. He says that everything he's shown him here would be completely different even just a few kilometers away in the same country. The further around the globe you go, the more different it is, and that's probably the greatest wonder of humanity. They arrive at a small art studio slash cafe combo, and Sias gets them both a canvas, and a set of paints. Cardigan asks what it is he should do here, and Sias says that they are going to paint each other, which Cardigan seems to understand before grabbing a brush and painting a stripe of blue down Sias' arm. He asks if this is what they call art, and Sias supposes that it could be, depending on who you asked. Cardigan remarks that he feels as if he is understanding art less and less the more they discuss it, and Sias says that he'll show him, and begins painting on his canvas. He then shows Cardigan the painting of him, and asks him how it makes him feel to see a painting of himself. Cardigan responds that he feels joy, his hearts are beating with joy, and it makes him feel significant. Sias says that's what art is, something that makes people feel something or gets them talking. Cardigan asks if he can make art, or if only certain humans are capable, and Sias tells him anyone can be an artist, prompting him to try painting Sias on the canvas. Sias sat still as Cardigan furiously painted with an intense expression on his face, although his arms are uncoordinated, and at many points it looks more like he's slapping the canvas with paint rather than painting. Finally, he shows off the finished product, beaming with pride, although the painting looks more like a haphazard splashing of colors. Cardigan asks if this is art, and if he is an artist, and Sias, of course, says that he is, and that this is wonderful work. Cardigan takes the canvas and hands it to Sias, saying that this is a present to him, as thanks for what he has done. Sias takes it and gives him his in return, so that he can remember when he started his art journey. As they get up to leave, Cardigan becomes distracted by a group of people in the streets, beginning a tango demonstration. Cardigan remarks that this makes him feel excitement and asks if it is art. Sias says that dancing is a form of art, and Cardigan asks if they can try it as well. 
Sias agrees, but warns him that it's been a while since he last did this. The two step out to the plaza and take a position similar to the other dancers, beginning to move in a clumsy approximation of the other dancers. Cardigan remarks on how warm Sias is, and Sias says that he reminds him of his daughter, as they used to go dancing like this all the time when she was little, and she was about his size. Cardigan responds that humans are quite large, with Cardigan being barely three feet tall, but Sias says that he's taller than most, if that makes him feel better. A crowd begins to gather to watch the two, and Sias says that he reminds him of his daughter in a lot of ways, actually. She was always so curious about the world, stopping to admire every flower they passed in the park, always asking why things were the way they were. Even now, he feels like he doesn't have the answers, but that's fine. Cardigan comments that Sias sounds sad when talking about the child, and asks if something happened. Sias just laughs and says that he guesses he's talking like she's dead, but no, she's just grown up now, off living her own life. The two finish dancing, and Sias bows, with Cardigan also bowing after a moment of confusion. It had hardly been an impressive display, but the crowd around them cheered regardless. Back to the two Caridids, the one, presumably Cardigan, says that he is trying to find ways to describe everything he's seen without repeating himself. He's learning so much here, and although the humans are behind them in many ways, they have and do things that he never thought possible. There are concepts that he has learned that he cannot even explain in ways that make sense, things he still has yet to understand himself. The other remarks that the humans will not be behind them for that much longer, with the pace they're moving at. Cardigan says that they are lucky to have met one another, he just wishes that there was more time. The next day, Cardigan surprises Sias in his room, insisting that they go to Nest right away. He's confused telling him that there's still so much to see here and that it had hardly been a week, but Cardigan wouldn't take no for an answer. He speaks with a sense of urgency that couldn't be ignored, so they loaded up onto the shuttle along with Ketadanka, and they left. He frankly expected more when passing through the wormhole, as he had grown up on classic sci-fi movies, so he partly was expecting this flashy jump to hyperspace as he's pressed against the seat, but it wasn't anything momentous at all. There were no jumps, or sudden shifts in momentum, they were simply just… there. Prior to this, in a conversation between Cardigan and another Caridid, He's informed that the current projections are inconsistent as to what exactly will happen, but they all spell out some level of disaster for both peoples. Cardigan makes a request then, to bring Sias to Nest and let humans see their world before it's too late for both of them. In the blink of an eye, Sias is on the other side of the universe, in a small solar system with no more than five planets. He didn't get much time to really take it all in though, soon arriving at Nest thanks to their advanced technology. 
They land on a beach with white sand, not unlike a beach on Earth. In the distance, he can see a myriad of shrubby plants sporting dark red and orange leaves that transition to black near their center. Even the sky above felt familiar to him, with the sky being similar to Earth's sky during a sunset, aside from the sun appearing as a massive, pale orb. He could see the wormhole hanging in the sky above, and Earth on the other side. Cardican asks him to come with them, as there's much to show him and not much time. They begin passing through an area best described as a forest or a jungle, but it's difficult to judge the climate with his suit on. Cardican says that this is Nest, the only home they've ever known, prompting Sias to ask if they've never colonized other worlds. Katadanka says that they have attempted it on many occasions, but their needs are very specific and most other planets they've found were unsuitable. Cardican comments that Earth shouldn't be able to host life at all based on their calculations, as the atmosphere is thin, it's not tidally locked, and it's so far from its host star. It's a miracle humanity exists, even more so that humanity is advanced. Sias says that he guesses this is the point where he says the opposite, that by humanity's calculations, there's no way Nest should be able to support life. The two Caridids pause, clicking to one another, looking like they wanted to say something in response, but both remain silent as they continue moving, reaching a city of some kind. The structures are low to the ground and rounded, most being overtaken by native flora, in some cases nearly indistinguishable from the surroundings aside from odd, rounded bulges from the ground. They were all built with a sense of purpose, with no decorative elements or patterning on them. As they walked, Sias couldn't shake the feeling that something was off, as it was all so quiet. Aside from Cardican and Katadanka, he doesn't see any other Caridids present, and wanted to ask them about it, but a solemn look from Cardican told him enough. They eventually make it to a massive structure, looking like several of the smaller ones stuck together, without much of a sense for organization or purpose. The wall itself manifested a door that slid open as they approached and from there he was led to a large room filled with indescribable technologies. Some were vaguely familiar, with screens, buttons, and dials, but none had a clear purpose to his eye. Others were utterly foreign, composed of metal bars and wires that looked ready to electrocute him or chop off a limb if he got too close. This is where he finally sees other Caridids, a small group of six that huddled around them with chips and clicks, eyeing Sias with a hungry curiosity. There were no chairs, so he leaned against the safest looking place he could find, and Cardigan tells him to ask his questions, as he must have many. Sias asks a few right away, like, what was that stuff they walked through outside? What is this place? and if this is just a small city, since there aren't many of their people here. 
Cardican responds that this is as expected, as humanity is curious like Caridids are, and the curiosity is just in the simple things. He says that this is the largest city left on the planet, and what he saw outside are what remains of homes and businesses. Sias remains silent after this, until Cardigan asks him if he doesn't have any questions about that. Sias says that he thinks he knows what's going on here, mentioning the cathedral back on Earth. When he said the word war to Cardigan, he stiffened subtly at it, and so it doesn't take an intelligent species to piece it all together. Instead, he just asks how many of them are there left. Katadanka replies that they are all here. This means that there are only eight Karadids left in existence, each one likely as old or older than Cardican. Sias asks how long has it been like this? And Ketadonica says that Cardican is the youngest, with the event happening when he was freshly hatched from the nursery. Sias asks if there have been any other kids since then, causing the group to chitter to one another, and Cardican motioning Sias to follow him. He's led to a section of the floor that begins descending deeper into the ground, and eventually into a large cavern. Looking around, he can see the ground covered in large, ovular objects colored a splotchy green. Cardigan explains that this is the nursery, where the eggs are kept and where they hatch. Sias says that there's easily over a hundred here, and Cardigan replies that there are 345 eggs here. Sias says that he doesn't understand what the problem is, and Cardigan responds that Neither do they. It has been one of their greatest sources of frustration and confusion for over a thousand years. Every single egg is viable, and it shouldn't take more than two years for them to hatch. Sias kneels down with a flashlight and shines it on one of the eggs, seeing a faint, vaguely carotid-shaped silhouette inside. Cardigan tells him that they have accepted extinction much to his shock. He says that they accepted it long ago, once the old began dying. Soon hundreds became dozens, and dozens became eight. Sias tries to argue about their advanced technology, but Cardigan responds that they have tried everything, but they are not afraid, as they have accomplished their goal in the end. Their goal was to meet another species like them, capable of thought. From the beginning, they worshipped the idea that their planet was not alone, that despite how impossible life should be here, it existed regardless, and therefore there had to be another. Cardigan leads him back outside, and Sias looks up at the stars above seeing foreign constellations of stars whose light wouldn't reach Earth for millions of years. Cardigan continues, saying that it was a nice dream early on, but they never really focused on it. They built up their society, at home first. They learned of all the creatures that lived here, from the land to the ocean, and then began learning of those on other planets nearby. 
They did find life on other planets, but nothing like them. Nothing that could think. They began harvesting energy from their star, and used it to send groups out of the solar system. Sias says that that's the kind of thing that he wishes humanity could do, but there are so many problems at home still to solve. Cardigan says that this was also the case here, but their eyes were blind to them. They had the same problems here as he saw on Earth, as even though the Caridids were not as diverse as humanity, they were not united either. He says that he doesn't wish to waste time describing the entire history of his people, as time is precious right now. Once the eggs stopped hatching, those that remained doubled their efforts to find intelligent life. The portal technology was created once they focused all of their efforts on finding another out there, and they began peering across the universe. Each star and system was searched, but all of them were barren and empty, with nothing more than a few dying microbes. Eventually though, after two million years of their species existing, they found humanity on their own impossible little world. Sias again looks to the sky, fixing his eyes on the wormhole and earth on the other side. Strangely, it didn't feel that far away, almost looking like the moon. Sias says that Cardican keeps mentioning how there isn't enough time, and that there must be something wrong. Cardigan responds that there is, and Sias needs to go home right now. Back to the other conversation between Cardigan and another Caridid, with the current distance between the two planets being approximately 340,000 kilometers. They tell Cardigan that they are out of time, and any longer a nest will be destroyed. Cardigan asks if it truly matters, as staving off death now won't stop what is coming, so they will die either way. He asks why they can't just die here, knowing that they've passed on their knowledge to another. The other one responds that such a thing is impossible, and doesn't only risk them, but humanity as well. Cardigan responds that it's all hypothetical, just modules and simulations that cannot be proven for sure, so they don't know what will happen. The knowledge gained from this exchange is invaluable, something they'll never get again if they cut it off now. There's still so much for humanity to see here, and so much for them to see on Earth. There are so many concepts left to discuss, things to learn. They have yet to speak on their belief systems, or their history. There are so many nations to see, and there's so much more for Sias to see of Nest. The other Caridid cuts him off and says that the simulations do not lie. If they do not close the wormhole, either Nest will be thrown through to be torn apart by Earth's gravity, or worse. It cannot be left open. Cardigan asks if it's not possible to simply close it and reopen it in a safer place, but those were the final coordinates, as the last Caridid who knew how to enter in new coordinates died years ago. There are none left who know how to enter more, so once the portal closes, it's over. 
Cardigan tries to argue once more, but accepts the situation, saying that he's just not ready to say goodbye. Back with Sias. Sias asks him why he has to go all of a sudden. Cardigan begins to explain the situation with the planets, but Sias already knows that they've been drifting towards each other the past few days. He says that the Foundation isn't dumb or ignorant, and they've been monitoring the distance between the planets since the portal opened. It was pretty clear that the Caridids opened it between their orbital paths. Cardigan asks if the Foundation isn't upset about this, and Sias admits that the higher-ups are, but there isn't a whole lot they can do about it. The O5 Council wanted him to threaten them all to fix the problem, but that's not how he operates. He asks what happens next, to which Cardigan says that he sends Sias home and the portal is closed. Sias asks if there's no way to reopen it, but there isn't, and they stand there in silence together looking up at the stars above. Cardigan finally comments on how small they are, having searched every star they possibly could across their existence just to find another like them. Many have died searching, hoping that there was something else out there, dying never knowing that there was. But even in knowing, they were only able to know humanity for such a short time that it might as well have never mattered. These moments were fleeting, and now they're over. Sias says that he's right, they are small, and it would have been nice to have more time together. The universe is vast beyond their comprehension, and when we die, the stuff that makes us ourselves will return to that universe. We'll become the matter that makes up the next stars, or even the next civilization, becoming a part of that universe. He takes Cardigan's hand and says that this moment was fleeting, but they were lucky to have ever had it. No goodbye is forever, so he won't say goodbye. Instead, he'll say that he'll see him in the stars. Cardigan responds by also saying that he will see him in the stars. Sias then leaves returning to the headquarters to be taken home by Kedidanka. Cardigan returned shortly after, but by the time he arrived, they had already left. One of the others who remained behind handed him something, a gift from Sias. Inside was a set of brushes and paints. While the others worked to close the wormhole, Cardigan returned to the cavern below with his gift. He laid the brushes out and began to paint. It wouldn't be a wonder, nothing like what he had seen on Earth, but it would be beautiful. He worked long into sleeping time and into the next day, stopping only to eat. Sias would never see it, nor would anyone else from Earth, but it would be a memento of his times there. When it was finished, he sat his brushes down. There it was, his landscape of stars with a caridid and a human looking to one another. 
He looked around and saw all the blank space that remained on the cave walls and began planning his next masterpiece. In the distance, he could swear he almost heard the sound of something cracking. The article ends with another distance update, with the distance between the two planets listed as approximately 32 billion light years. It finishes with Cardigan's painting of him and Sias underneath the stars, and the message, Come find us. We'll be waiting. All right. So it's an SCP article that's certainly indicative of the more modern era of SCPs. It's not really strongly connected with the rest of the SCP universe, and it's by and large more of a tale than an SCP document. That being said, it's an extremely touching SCP, much in the same vein as SCP-6001, Avalon. The Caradids were pretty much exactly what we'd hope a sapient alien species to be, benevolent, curious, and highly advanced. In a sort of a children of men scenario though, they were on the brink of extinction and had already accepted that fate for many years. All they really wanted then was to find another sapient species. Not really for any specific reason, but for more of a religious purpose, just to prove to themselves that other intelligent life was out there. In the end, they found Earth, and rather than the Foundation being immediately hostile, they decided to accept their presence and perform a short cultural exchange. In what looked to be a very grim ending, with the wormhole closing and the Caridids left with no hope of survival, things seem to change right at the end, and perhaps the Caridids will live on after all. The SCP universe is by and large a pretty rough place, and in one version of this story, I'm sure the Foundation didn't react as well to the Caridids, or perhaps the Caridids were a very different civilization entirely. Here though, it was just a wonder to both sides to discover other sapient life out there, and although we really only get the story from the perspective of Agent Sias, it sure seemed like most of the world was pretty interested in our new alien neighbors. Unfortunately, this newfound relationship was not to last for very long, but perhaps one day, many years in the future, the two species will be reunited. <laughs>